Hey, thanks for joining us here at becomenew.me, where you'll find daily video devotionals from John Ortberg, where we're going on a journey to learn more about who we are becoming as we draw closer to God. If this video resonates with you, share with a friend. Otherwise, here's John. Take a deep breath. Let go of whatever you're doing and just relax because I want to talk to you for a few minutes about radically accepting waiting in your life. We are in the Advent season and Advent is about waiting. It is not waiting so much for Christmas. It's not mostly waiting for something that happened way back then. Advent is mostly waiting for something that is yet going to happen. When the one who came to us as a little baby straightens everything out and brings justice and goodness into the world. And so, and so we wait. But we don't like to wait. Fleming Rutledge has run, written this wonderful book on Advent called Advent, cleverly enough. And she writes about how waiting, especially to those of us in America, does not come naturally. We don't take long lunches the way the French do. We don't take siestas in the middle of the day like the Spanish do. We don't look forward to our pensions like the Brits do. We don't wait for the light to change in order to go through the crosswalk like the Germans do. We don't like to wait. Nobody really likes to wait because waiting involves two dynamics. Uh, one of them is when you're waiting, you're waiting for something that you want that you do not yet have, but you want to have it. Or you're waiting for something to go away, a headache that won't go away. And so waiting always involves a kind of frustrated wanting. And then waiting means I'm not in control. Because if I was in control, I wouldn't have to wait. Famous old movie star Clark Gable one time said when an actress showed up late for a scene and he stormed off the set, time and Gable wait for no women. But most of us are not that handsome or that rich or that powerful. we we got to wait for any women. The Bible is in many ways a book about waiting. Um, in the beginning, there is no waiting. In the first chapter before the fall, God speaks, and it is so, and God sees it's good. God lives in eternity, and we don't know what all that means, but part of what it means is God knows no frustration and, and no waiting. He's not in a hurry. It takes billions of years. But each moment, or however it is that God experiences existence within God's self, is a moment of joy and delight and richness. And it's not until after the fall, when God is uh, uh, discussing the consequences of the fall, the curse, and he says to the woman that one day a child will be born, and the evil one would strike at his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. And that's been understood by Christians as the first hint of the promise of the one who would come in the incarnation in Jesus who would crush evil because that's the real battle. Meanwhile, people have to wait all through the Bible. God comes to Abraham, you're going to be the father of great nations, but get to wait several decades. Isaac has to wait 20 years before he has a child. Joseph has to wait in slavery and then wait in prison. Israel has to wait 400 years in Egypt. And then Moses comes, but the people have to wait another 40 years in the desert. And then, of course, after the exile, there's another 400 years of waiting until Jesus comes. And then Jesus, too, has to wait. 
We're not told anything about those 30 years when uh, he walks on the earth and he learns what his identity and his vocation is, but his ministry does not begin until he is 30 years old. And then after the crucifixion and the resurrection, his disciples will say, now is the kingdom going to be delivered? Now is it all going to come? Now is everything going to be okay? Now will we have power? And he says, no, you have to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And all through the Bible, people have to make sense of this waiting until this. This is what's really striking. Here's the words that I wanted to uh, read for this message. Peter is writing, and he talks about how the heavens will disappear The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since all these things will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Now everything is going to be destroyed. Cars, money, reputations, houses, possessions. Whatever you think about spiritual life, that simply is true. So what does that mean? How should you live wisely? Peter says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward, as you wait, some translations, as you wait for the day of God and and speed its coming and hasten its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward. We are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. What's striking here is he says that we are to wait for that day, but then he also says we are to hasten its coming. Now, those are two things that seem to be the opposite. When I wait, I'm just waiting around, and that's part of what happens. I, I can't bring about this new age. Part of what waiting teaches me is that I'm not in control. And every parent understands, if you ever wonder why is it that waiting is so important. Waiting, learning to wait, being forced to wait is an indispensable part of character formation. If you were to have a child and say to that child, you'll never wait for anything. Any impulse, any appetite, any desire, I will gratify it as soon as you, you would not want to be around that child once they get to be very old. Waiting changes wanting. In waiting, I come to learn that my desires are not the center of the universe. A friend of mine used to say, what happens to us while we wait is often more important than what it is that we think that we are waiting for. And so we wait. And we trust God. And so we wait with patience. And so we embrace our waiting believing that God in his good time is doing things that we do not fully understand. We wait because we are not able to set right what needs to be set right. There's an essayist, Lance Morrow, and he writes about the difference between the word wrong and the word evil. When we talk about wrongs, the implication for that often is that we live in a world where there are rights and there are wrongs, and humanly, we can, we can right those wrongs. We can pass a law. We can enact legislation. We can adopt a program. But when we talk about evil, it implies that we live in a universe where there are forces beyond our power that are deep mysteries to us and that are in us. And that's part of the Advent story, that there is evil in this world 
and that it needs to be defeated and that is beyond us and that is what God is doing and so we wait. There is not peace on earth. We look right now and Russia is massing at the border of the Ukraine. Uh, uh, refugees from Afghanistan are in a horrible plight. I think about my family and there is not peace. And I cannot make peace as much as I ache for it. And so I wait and try to wait patiently and wait in hope. But then here's the amazing thing Peter says. You wait, but also, he says, you speed its day, you hasten it. In other words, we all wonder, when's God going to come back? When is he going to make his world right? When is he going to destroy what needs to be destroyed and renew what can be renewed? When will he do that? And apparently, according to Peter, it's actually possible for you and me, as we become the kinds of people that God wants us to do and become agents of his kingdom, we're actually speeding that day. It's apparently on a variable schedule, and it might be changed. And Fleming Rutledge writes wonderful story about how do we hasten its day. There was a, a neighborhood in Philadelphia where most of the people who lived there, most of the families were Gentiles. One of the family was Jewish. And in an act of vandalism, somebody smashed the window. They had a menorah uh, inside their house, and vandals smashed the window, took the menorah out, and threw it away and spray-painted a swastika on the house. The next day, the next night, there were menorahs in all 18 homes in that neighborhood. And then that spread until the local stores were completely out of menorahs. And Fleming writes, "Uh, how did that happen? Obviously, you didn't have a bunch of Gentile families that happened to have an extra menorah laying around. Somebody thought, we want to stand with our friends. We want to be in solidarity with them and figured out where could we go to buy these and how can I go from house to house and persuade everybody to do this together. What are they doing? They're hastening the day. They are agents of the kingdom. And every time we love somebody, every time we serve, every time we stand beside, every time we give, every time we encourage, every time we forgive, We are, in some way that we do not understand, hastening the day. So do that today. Ask God, how can I hasten that day? And then, one other invitation for today. When you wait, take a deep breath. Remember that you are not in control. You are not Jesus. You are not even Clark Gable. When you're sitting at a stoplight, when you're waiting for that computer to take forever to boot up, when you're talking with somebody who is a slow talker, when you're waiting for a meal or a task or a promotion or graduation or to hear from somebody that you love, we wait on God. We depend on God. We look to God today, radically accept waiting. Doesn't mean apathy, doesn't mean passivity, because we also speed the day. And we wait for Him. See you next time.
Hi, more than a video to watch, we hope this is a community you can engage with. So add your voice to the comments. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram, or join our Facebook group, becomenew.me. We'll be posting daily resources and questions for you to engage with. So take a step, get connected. We'll see you next time.